Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, June 8th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Congressman Benny Thompson says a higher minimum wage, among other reforms, can better the lives of poor Mississippians. Then community leaders talk vaccine hesitancy. And a new Alzheimer's drug faces questions of efficacy and accessibility. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Yesterday, Mississippi Congressman Benny Thompson hosted the Poor People's Campaign for a conference addressing the income gap in the United States. Speaking with our Kobe Vance on the steps outside his office, Congressman Thompson says he's united with the campaign and his determination to advance a progressive legislative agenda. I'm here in support of what's called third reconstruction. The people behind me have been advocating for a wealth creation because the inequality uh, in America is is not good. Uh, we have the very wealthy and the very poor. So this resolution is in support of addressing wealth inequality uh, in the United States. It cites unemployment, it cites housing, uh, it cites the lack of economic opportunity for a number of citizens. So it's basically a statement uh, in support of what we have to do if we, in fact, are going to level the playing field in this country. So uh, it's easy for me, representing a second district of Mississippi, which is one of the poor districts in America, uh, to do all I can to make sure that those individuals have uh, a, a fighting chance when they become adults. So I'm excited about it. Uh, I hope we can get traction. We have around 40 people who've signed on to the resolution. It's We introduced it on the 25th of May, and so we're, we're working it. So I'm happy to see supporters of it here today uh, acknowledging me for my uh, signing on to the resolution early. When it comes to wages, uh, the conversation has grown over the past year, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, for living wages. How do you see this addressing that? Well, as you know, uh, we've had a minimum wage 
uh, law in this country for quite a time. Uh, there are a number of us who think $15 minimum wage is reasonable. I'm excited about it because now I'm told by business people that unless they raise the wages, uh, people are not coming to work. And so I'm excited about the fact that the $15 minimum wage is not as negative a wage rate as you used to have. So uh, I look forward uh, to people being able to support their families on a livable wage. And a lot of us think that $15 an hour is a statement toward that livable wage. Now, the federal government is continuing to offer um, federal assistance for people who are unemployed right now because of the coronavirus pandemic, but Governor Reeves has opted out of that program. Uh, what, are your, what have been your thoughts on that? Well, I supported the program. I'm the only member uh, of the Mississippi delegation who voted for the relief packages, not just for the unemployed, but we voted for relief pack packages for the businesses, for the farmers, uh, everyone. Uh, the unemployed are still American citizens, and so I support the benefits that they've received. But it's also indicative that business now understand that if you want people to come back to work, you're going to have to pay more money. So it's, I think, interesting that the very people who have criticized uh, the unemployed are now saying, uh, I'm going to have to pay more money if I if people come back to work for me. And, and, and a livable wage in America for doing work is not something that's, that's horrible. Uh, I think the kind of jobs uh, that the people we're talking about, they get up every day. But many of those jobs don't have health care. Uh, they don't carry enough benefits to, for child care. So if I'm not able to support my family on a livable wage, then I just have to either become uh, dependent on the system or the system has to change. And I'm convinced that if we raise the minimum wage uh, in this country, ultimately to $15 or higher, then those individuals can take care of their families themselves. The Senate shot down the uh, effort to create the committee to investigate the, the riot at the Capitol that you helped to organize. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, as you know, I was there on January 6th when it occurred. I saw it personally. Uh, it was not good for this country. It was not good for those who looked uh, and saw the insurrection that occurred. Uh, but I was tasked by the Speaker to work with my Republican uh, uh, colleague on the Homeland Security Committee to come up with a, a program or a bill that would address that. So for four months, uh, we did it. And ultimately, we got a bill passed in the House uh, with 35 Republican members on it. Uh, I feel good about it. It's unfortunate that the Senate uh, will not take it up at this point. Uh, the Speaker has some choices that she can make. Uh, she can uh, appoint an independent commission uh, or a select committee. She can give it to some of the committees of jurisdiction, including Homeland Security. Or she can ask the President to appoint a commission, which I understand he's already indicated that he's not. So we can't ignore what happened. 
uh, we're going to have to make sure that we settle our differences at the ballot box as a democracy. Can you imagine with uh, municipal elections coming up tomorrow, if your candidate didn't win, you go to City Hall and tear the place up? That's not how we do it. So we have to set this standard for uh, this country that in settling our differences, we have to be accountable, but you have to participate. A riot or insurrection is not participatory democracy. Congressman, is there anything else that you'd like to share with Mississippians as you continue your efforts in, uh, in Washington or other thoughts you've had in the past weeks? Well, I'm working with the Biden administration on the transportation and infrastructure package. Uh, it would mean a lot to Mississippi. Uh, our roads and bridges need improving. Our schools need enhancing in terms of, of Internet access for our children. Uh, we need to build out to the last mile. Uh, it's unfortunate during this pandemic, so many of our children didn't have access to the Internet. So for that year, uh, we have not had access to all our children in, in terms of Internet. Those children have lost that year. And in America, a child shouldn't have to go to Starbucks or McDonald's for having access to the Internet. It ought to be affordable uh, and available regardless to where they live. Congressman Thompson, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, Mississippi leaders combat vaccine hesitancy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi remains last in the United States in vaccination rate. As of June 6th, a little more than a quarter of Mississippians have been fully vaccinated. At a panel discussion yesterday evening organized by the Department of Health and Human Services, a group of Mississippi leaders shared the distinct ways in which they're combating vaccine hesitancy in their communities. Regina Young-Hyatt is VP of Student Affairs at Mississippi State. She says some college students forgo vaccines for different reasons than other populations. Students have expressed to us not necessarily vaccine hesitancy, but more what we are calling vaccine indifference. And what I mean by that is students are expressing to us that they are not necessarily opposed to getting vaccinated, but are in fact just not certain or are not necessarily in a hurry to get vaccinated. And so we have been pressing on that particular point by really encouraging students to understand that if they are vaccinated, they don't have to quarantine uh, unless they are symptomatic, if they are exposed to someone with COVID-19. 
that has become an important tool for us to encourage students to be vaccinated because you can imagine the disruption that a quarantine might have in a student's um, student experience if they have to be isolated or quarantined for 10 to 14 days. And not having to do that as uh, one of the benefits of vaccination has been one of the key points that we've been emphasizing. Ronald Turner is executive director of the Meridian Housing Authority. He describes the attitude of many of his residents towards COVID-19 vaccines as indecisiveness. Accordingly, he's embraced a multifaceted strategy with an emphasis on positivity and community spirit. We are currently engaging our property managers, our property management team, and and uh, we've organized uh, nine resident advisory boards. Uh, and these are actual residents who, who represent their various communities. Uh, we are engaging uh, public figure endorsements, uh, including some of our great local rap stars and some of our high profile professional athletes from Meridian uh, who have excelled in their uh, professions and who have influence. Uh, uh, on some of our residents that we serve. Uh, and, and, and most of all, we are planning a, a HUD sanction event on uh, June the 26th entitled Strong Families. And uh, met, um, the Meridian Housing Authority Strong Family event will be discussing the importance of taking the shot. Uh, local medical doctors have agreed to address our residents uh, throughout the course of this festival on our main stage. And um, they're gonna be addressing uh, COVID myths and uh, the importance of uh, COVID uh, education. And uh, we have uh, community sponsors and uh, uh, who are uh, offering uh, incentives uh, at this point, and we're looking for more, but they're offering incentives up to $250 cash for residents who volunteer to take the shot on the spot. <laughs> Of course, high-energy events aren't right for everyone. Janice Williams, who directs a community action agency based in Greenville, says she's been especially focused on one group who often aren't reached by common campaign tactics. We're doing a program now where we're going to be dealing with the elderly because our priority is the elderly. So what we're doing is we have launched a program called Dial a Senior, and we're using young people to... Uh, establish a friendly relationship with elderly. We're matching them up and they will be calling them on a daily basis just to check check on them to see how they're doing, to see if they need any of our services. And one of their tasks is to find out if they have been vaccinated. And if they have not been vaccinated, we are offering them uh, transportation or whatever it is that we can do to get them vaccinated. So we're just like everybody else. We're trying to come up with everything that we can so that people can understand the benefits of being vaccinated. The most powerful advocates of all are those who can speak from personal experience. COVID-19 nearly killed Mississippi pastor O.D. Aikens in summer of 2020. Now Aikens is a vociferous advocate of vaccinations within his church and community. I was on the ventilator. I had... uh tube in, in my stomach feeding tube. <clears throat> I had Oshigan uh hooked up to me and um and by the grace of God I came through. So when I got out I uh started to go to work at advocating for 
the importance of taking the vaccine. When I got out, I took the vaccine, both shots, me and my family, uh, my wife and I. And so uh, we're advocating in our community, starting from our local assembly. And uh, we are trying to set up a place where we can share information concerning the importance of taking the vaccine. And, uh, and that's how we starting from our local assembly. Also uh, served as a board member of a, a multi-county community service agency located in Meridian, which serves services nine counties plus. And I am a board member sitting on that board representing Scott County. And um, I'm sharing with all uh, of my concerned parties in Scott County uh, about the importance of getting this vaccine because they, they do not want what I had. Coming up, what a new Alzheimer's drug could mean for Mississippians. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Aducanumab, that's the name of the first new Alzheimer's medication to be approved by the FDA in two decades. The New York Times broke news of aducanumab's clearance while reporting the drug packs a portmanteau of serious side effects and is embroiled in debates over its efficacy. But Dr. Shui Bin Huang, who's an associate professor of neurology at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, says it's too soon to speculate on the finer points of aducanumab's future. He speaks with our Rob Lane. This is still a very early development. You know, all the information we have is from the news and uh, from the FDA website. I think, you know, we have a lot more information to come, and I I'm able to share more information to to the community, to the patients and families, and if we, we have more information, especially about the prescription information of the product and the labels, the indications, we don't know uh, all of them yet. I presume you're aware of this per the most recent national study, which I believe was in 2019. Mississippi has the highest Alzheimer's death rate of any state in the nation, recorded it being nearly 50%. Could this drug theoretically put a dent in that, or is it more of a quality of life drug? And I, I think, you know, as a provider, and I'm seeing Alzheimer's disease and dementia patients as, uh, routinely as my practice, I, I think, you know, I'm excited when I hear about the approval, but and I also want to be precautions. And then, you know, I, I, I think and I've been involved in Alzheimer's disease research clinical trial um, for a long time. What I look into that, you know, from what I hear from FDA, this is definitely, this is not a cure for Alzheimer's disease. 
And then I think there's evidence that, you know, it does slow down the disease progression and it does remove the amino the plaques, and, you know, significantly. But by no means this is a cure for Alzheimer's disease. We still have uh, a lot of work to do and a long way to go on the research side to try to find maybe better medication or, you know, fine-tuning product in this pathway. And then I, I think that's my strong message. I want to tell people that, you know, we are not sitting here relaxing, you know, because we have a you know, magic pill. This is not a magic pill. For the community, for my patients with Alzheimer's disease, this is exciting. And then this give them access to uh, a new medication and a new option uh, to, you know, potentially slow down the disease process. But I think, you know, and, you know, we'll have to keep in mind this is not for every patient with Alzheimer's disease. And the trial was designed for very early stage of uh, Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, and it has not been tested for more advanced stage Alzheimer's disease. So, and, you know, I know we're going to probably receive a lot of phone calls, messages from the patient and family, but, you know, we will see and, uh, you know, we will get more information what specific, you know, criteria they're going to use to justify for patients to receive this medication. So you said that the drug isn't a magic pill, We've been talking. Oh, we've been talking a lot of a. You know, in in the in in the media certainly. And my understanding is that this has sort of been an ongoing discussion in medicine too, especially over the past year. This idea of social determinants of health. If this drug isn't a magic pill, and if Mississippi is still last in the nation in Alzheimer's death rate, what can the state be doing on a statewide basis to improve outcomes for Alzheimer's patients in Mississippi? How are we gonna do? How how are we gonna prevent people from getting to Alzheimer's disease? That's probably still gonna be the key. You know, we you know here at UMC at Mind Center, you know, and at nationwide, there has been a lot of research been done, and I think talking about you know in your midlife and then early on, and there's a lot of you can do to you know avoid you know getting into Alzheimer's disease. For example lifestyle modification, reduced amount of vascular risk factors, and then, you know, eating healthier and sleeping well. And those are something, you know, we all can do and and can start it as early as possible to, you know, to prevent the disease from, you know, beginning. I think, you know, the reason we, Mississippi has the highest uh, amount of prevalence of the diseases, I think, you know, we still have a lot of underlying conditions and that, you know, we need to work on to get them better control in order to prevent something like Alzheimer's disease or similar conditions. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. I've also read that the retail cost of this new drug is expected to probably be pretty high, given that there are lots of fairly unique barriers to health care for Mississippians, including, you know, of course, as I know you're aware, that the state is elected not to expand Medicaid. Could that be a concern for Alzheimer's patients in Mississippi, the ability to get their hands on the drug from a financial perspective? I, I definitely, that's uh, actually, that's my biggest concern. You know, yes, we have an FDA approval now, but, you know, whether the patient 
you know, our patients, my patients can have access to the medications. We don't know. And then as a matter of fact, and, you know, this is not a single pill that patient can take, you know, can review from pharmacy. This is an infusion product, and, you know, patients have to have access to an infusion center once a month and to get an infusion, and then there's going to be more intensive monitoring process, for example, there's going to be, you know, regular periodic MRI of the brain to make sure the patients don't develop the side effects, which, you know, in the FDA news release specified as swelling of the areas of the brain and sometimes can be asymptomatic, sometimes can cause, sometimes, you know, those are something have to be monitored you know, while the patient receiving the medication. So bottom line it's you know, we'll have to use a lot of medical resource in order to get patients on the medication in order to, you know, uh, monitor side effects. So that's my concern, how we're going to run up, ramp up to make the medication accessible to our Mississippians. Dr. Huang, thank you so very much for your time helping us understand this a little better. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition here on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.